Geek Fuel, the monthly subscription mystery box, has a great offer for RFR listeners. When you sign up for your first Geek Fuel box, you'll receive a special Star Wars bonus pack, a $30 value. Visit geekfuel.com slash rebel to sign up today. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. What do they say? They say admitting you have a problem, that's the first step. Mm-hmm. I think I have a problem. Oh, yeah? Do tell. Well, you know, I've been uh, doing this thing where I'm cleaning up my old action figures, right? Getting them all <laughs> in the bathtub. Up. Yeah, yes, in, the, in the tub, right? Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just took a little uh, little dip with my Bespin Han, as a matter of fact. I'm looking at right now. One of my all-time favorite figures. I, I, I There's some things, you know, it's... It, you kind of have those Red Rider BB gun moments as a kid. And this Han Solo action figure was one of those Red Rider BB gun moments. And I, I wanted this figure so badly, and I finally got him, and I got him in my Easter basket. And uh, what the Easter bunny did is... What? What? I'm just... Go on. I, I'm, well, I'm just the Easter bunny him. hid the... He was out of the card. He, he was off the card. Mm-hmm. Well, the Easter Bunny can't carry him around in the card. You know, the Easter Bunny can't. You know, it's not Santa Claus. So the Easter Bunny put him under all of the, the you know, the fake plastic grass in the Easter basket. Put him at the bottom of it. So I get up Easter morning, and that's all I had asked for the, you know, of the Easter Bunny that year is I wanted that Bespin Han. Han and Bespin Fatigues, I believe he was called. Yeah. And, um... So I, I'm going through and I'm pulling out the chocolate and the Cadbury eggs and all that stuff. And, and I got some nice candy, but no, no Bespin Han. And uh, but I noticed this little tan boot just sticking up ever so slightly through the grass. I reached my hand. And I pulled him out. and I was so <laughs> excited. I was so excited. You know why? Because I finally had a human looking Han Solo figure for the longest time. Jim, all I had was that vintage uh, A New Hope Han Solo figure, the big head version. Yeah. Yeah, they thought that looked more like Harrison Ford for some the reason. The big head. 
as, the a, big as head opposed version. to the, the small head. The small Excuse head, me. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was the only Han Solo figure that I had had until I got the Bespin Han. And it's like, oh, my God, this actually looks, you know, like the handsome Han Solo, uh, you know, of the movies. <laughs> you old smoothie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but no, here's my problem. Okay, so it started out uh, where I, I was just, um, you know, I was going through the web and looking at videos on, on, on how to do this kind of stuff and, you know, uh, taking baths with my figures and getting them all yeah, cleaned yeah. up. And then I stumbled upon this YouTube channel called Toy Poloi. You got to see this guy. This guy is a magician. I, I, your brother, Bill, who is also a, you know, a, a Star Wars uh, vintage toy um, restore, restoration artist yeah. uh, in his own right, but, but, would, would love this. This guy. But the thing is, I can't stop watching. You know, like how some, like my wife, she'll watch HGTV and some of these channels just all the time. She's never going to do any of these projects. Right. She's not going to, you know, redo the whole house, but she watches other people do it. So I'm watching other people restore vintage Star Wars toys all the time. He does this custom Star Wars uh, uh, Slave One, the Slave mm-hmm. One, the vintage Slave One. He does this custom job where he puts lights and stuff in it. It's unbelievable. Here's a here's a taking Slave bit. One apart is a pretty easy job. It's one of the easier ships to uh, dismantle. There's a few screws on the bottom, which removes this whole bottom panel. And then you just have a whole load of screws along the edge, which splits the body in half. For this initial phase, I'm just going to worry about how we fit the two lights in this bottom panel. So I'll take the bottom panel off. See, I want to just sit here and watch this. It's <laughs> and it's the accent, you know. I think he's uh, British, uh, obviously. Um, and uh, I, I just, I, I, it's it's amazing. You guys got to check this out. It's T O Y P O L L O I, and this guy just seems like the nicest man on earth. And uh, but he's got great great tips, and it's not just Star Wars stuff. He's he's restoring all kinds of vintage toys from like the the seventies and eighties, and uh, it's just amazing. And then every once in a while he do like a you know a custom job. But uh, it, I, I've got a problem. I you know I find myself sitting at work watching you know restoration of a vintage Millennium Falcon. I can't pull myself away. Well, but I, that's hardly your biggest problem right now because you've just revealed to us and you started the show off by revealing to us that now you've graduated from bathing with Darth Vader to bathing with Han Solo, you old space pirate. In Bespin fatigues. In the fatigues, too. So do you occasionally look down and see that tan boot sticking out <laughs> through the bubbles? Well, very white plays in the background. You're making it sound, you know, uh, dirty or uh, perverse oh, no. or something. This is totally innocent. Take it off. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I'm just trying to... So the scene. Baby, take it all. All right, we're not going back down that. No, we're not. Weeks. We're not. Three weeks in a row, we're not going candles. down that path. But anyway, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm restoring my Bespin Han, um, and he's he's looking quite quite fantastic. He's almost looking like he did that Easter morning as I pulled him out of the grass. Uh, but I did tear myself away from my uh, vintage Star Wars restoration videos uh, long enough to do this week's show. Oh, Rebel thank Force you. Radio for thank September. you for gracing us with your presence. That's wonderful. I have to. I, I you know, I got to do it. I, there's like tens of people listening and waiting for. I should say we have tens <laughs> of people that hey, are excited you know, to hear from me. While you were watching those videos, yeah. uh, I, the guy who says, "Oh, I'll never watch TV, Star Wars on TV again. I don't need it on TV broadcast TV." I 
I saw it on TNT this week as I'm scrolling through the uh, the uh, cable channels, and and I landed right on the Phantom Menace and started watching the uh, TNT broadcast of uh, episode one just to see, you know, oh, because I was critical about it when it was on Spike, and I brought this up last week. Yeah, how did where it they look? just they just it looked fantastic. Okay. It's it's a great looking film. Did they um, have it in the right aspect ratio because Spike never that. did. No, oh, no they're no, still no, not no. doing it. No, 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 no. What? They they definitely do more of a full screen cropped yeah. thing going on there. Um, I give them I give them bonus points for not having obnoxious graphics running at the bottom of the screen. You know, like they like to do. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was especially on Disney Channel, which is just or Disney XD, all of the Disney. It's awful. It's just awful, and it's insulting after a while. You too. know, there were times uh, I remember this distinctly because uh, I. I subscribe through iTunes to watch Rebels. I haven't. I think I've watched Rebels actually on Disney XD maybe th- three, four times at the most over two seasons. I and, and I love the iTunes because it's such a clean copy of of the episodes. You don't have any of that weird lower third stuff. But Jim, you remember on Cartoon Network, the Clone Wars? It was the worst. You would miss like stuff happening on the screen. Yes, you would. Buried behind a. You know, a bug of, uh, you know, uh, Adventure Time or something. Right. Or like Spider-Man is swinging at the bottom of the scene. It's uh, (laughs) why I hate when they do that. And, you know, maybe that works for children, but let's keep it away from major motion films. But a lot of the cable channels just can't resist it. And then the other thing that's really been on my nerves is the, the, the station watermark, or I should say the network watermark. That mm. they put in the corner, yeah. that thing has drifted more and more toward the center of my screen, <laughs> and getting bigger, and getting bigger, of course. So TNT, I give them some props. They're not too bad with that watermark, and they don't have the obnoxious graphics running at the bottom of the screen. At least in the time I was watching the film, I think most people are complaining about the cropped look. Yeah. Of the film. I was really hoping with the new network that they would fix that because Spike was the worst. Incorrect aspect ratio. Yeah. Somebody posted online on one of our uh, Facebook pages that um, oftentimes the network is at the mercy of the film distributor. And they take what they get from them as opposed to doing it themselves. Mm. Which I found interesting. I thought that each individual network would tailor the look of the film according to whatever their standards may be. But uh, somebody somebody was uh, saying that that comes down to the film distributor themselves. Isn't there, isn't there just like a guy in a dark room grabbing the Blu-ray off the shelf and throwing it in? Uh, well, in my house, yeah. When I, <laughs> but that's just me. But that's not happening at, uh, at, at, at uh, TNT. No. All right. Uh, no, no. Apparently they get what's given to them. Were they now, hashtagging it? Hashtagging it? Yeah, you know, like because they'll have the, the the logo bug down in the, the the corner, and a lot of times they'll have a hashtag like Star Wars. You know, hashtag Star Wars TNT. You know, to get people chatting about it. Well, that's a good question, but I try to not look at that little watermark because once I start focusing in on it, then I can't take my eyes off of it. Oh. So you know, then I'm missing the film. As far as the commercial breaks, I noticed that. There was some leniency. It wasn't just like every five minutes like it felt like it was during the Spike era. The other thing is, and I thought this was quite refreshing at first, 
was when the film ended. Because well, that's the best part of Phantom Menace? No, no. no. Oh, well. I, some I'm, people I'm teasing. I'm you teasing. know, seeing Phantom Menace, I love Phantom Menace. Yeah, I, I absolutely, so. I do. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I really, I rank it up there pretty high um, with, uh, you know, of course, I always put it at the top of my charts, the original trilogy. I can't see, nothing has yet to to take that that away from me you know the the just the classic trilogy but then the prequels i'll tell you i i swear to you i consider the phantom menace to be the one i'm most fond for you know i think uh, it's i think it's um clearly the best of the three prequels clearly yeah. yeah it's hard to resist Re- revenge of the sith because you do get the origin the legit origin of darth vader in Revenge of the Sith. It's hard to resist that. But Sith has a great payoff, but getting there is a little rocky. I'm with you. I uh, I tend to rank the Phantom Menace above Revenge of the Sith. That might be unpopular with people, but that's just how we do it. Revenge, or, uh, The Phantom Menace herald the return of Star Wars. It was episode one, finally. You know, I mean, it might be hard for younger fans to... to know what it was like going that 16 years without a Star Wars film and especially being down at the bottom of the the pit there where you felt like well it's never coming back because we all felt that yeah during a certain time there was never any promises being made teases occasionally but even that dried up a little bit especially toward the late 90s but um I mean the late 80s films came back in the late 90s of course but in the I I, I think in the mid to late 80s was really the driest of the dry spell, the darkest of the dark times. I was very convinced Star Wars was not returning, so I started watching Star Trek. That's how bad it got. <laughs> well, well I was, uh, it was next generation. Everyone was watching. But, you it. know, we, we didn't really talk about it, uh, but, you know, Star Trek had its big 50th anniversary. Yes. And yes. There, there was a little bit of controversy in the, in the news because a lot of people we're saying that Paramount really, really screwed this this up. I mean, you don't get much bigger anniversaries than the 50th. And, uh, Jim, I know I got a text from you one night. There was a marathon you were watching. I think they had played the original pilot, The Cage, and then there was uh, some other episodes. But but there was that. There was the release of the film, but I didn't feel like they really tied the... Uh, uh, the, the Star Trek film that was in theaters this summer, I don't feel like they tied it to the 50th anniversary, unlike um, uh, Skyfall, which was released on the 50th anniversary of the, of, uh, of the, the Bond films. Uh, there was a lot of linkage between the anniversary and, and that film. Whereas and they, re- they re-released all the films as Blu-ray and a box set, and it was a right. big 50th anniversary edition. I don't know what goes on in the Star Trek world. If that stuff was going on, I don't think yeah, it was. Much, I had, if it much. was, I hadn't heard about it, and I heard that they had their big Star Trek mission convention a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Um, I don't know what kind of 50th anniversary waves were being made at that thing either, but if there were, I didn't hear about them. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting how uh, – how it's gonna, you know, we'll be seeing Star Wars doing that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, so, but next year's the 40th anniversary, of course, for Star Wars. So we'll see what kind of tie-in is going on there. But um, you know, um, emerging from those dark times and having a movie like The Phantom Menace, and just the fact that Star Wars was back 
in the mainstream focus after being gone for so many years and seeing the fever build once again with the lineups and the news coverage and everything under the sun, it was just what a fantastic return it was. It really was. And as great as The Force Awakens was bringing Star Wars back, it really didn't herald the end of a dark time because we did have an animated series of Clone Wars and very vibrant activity with Star Wars fandom and uh, Star Wars spinoff material like books and comics and collectibles, you name it. So Star Wars was still thriving between the prequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy, not the case in the 16-year period between the original trilogy and the prequels. Yeah. So when Phantom Menace arrived, it was it was just it was fantastic just to go back to that those worlds and to see the Jedi in their prime. You know, I I guess newer fans I'll take that for granted because they've grown up on that. They've always known it to be that way. They've known what the Jedi were like when the Jedi were in existence. To us as kids, we spent you know, we were introduced to Star Wars and that stayed a mystery the whole time. The backstories, all of that stuff was a mystery to us. And then we had that 16-year dry spell where it was just really... There was nothing. Was, I mean, there was nothing. I mean, you had the uh, the Zahn novels. Um, I, gosh, I remember when Steve Sansweet's book, From Concept to Collectible, was a big moment. You know, there, there was a time where there was nothing new Star Wars, and I go into a, a Walden Books in the mall, and I'm looking in the TV and movie section. All of a sudden, there's a brand new book there that I had never seen yes. about Star Wars. That was a, that was a big deal. Yeah, it, it was. There was an undersaturation of Star Wars, if you can possibly imagine such a thing. There was definite desire among fans to have Star Wars supplied to them, but there was just nothing there. And uh, boy, you re you really can't get away with that sort of thing nowadays. I mean, can you think of any sort of franchise or well, TV series? Or yeah, band? I can. I mean, As nothing a goes fact, away. I, nothing goes away. Well, Maybe Firefly. People talk about that, but nothing well, goes away. I, I actually liken it a little bit to Harry Potter. I think that now it wasn't as long, um, but Harry Potter was out there sort of uh, in the in the wilderness uh, and came back. I, I think since that last what was it, maybe six years since that last movie, five years since the last movie. And there's something coming out now, but it was a very similar thing. J.K. Rowling had said that she was done. The, the story was over, just like George was saying. Um, she wasn't going back. She tried doing uh, a few other things, wrote a couple of books, grown-up adult books. Nobody really cared. And um, then created this web portal, then started doing the digital editions of the books. And then um, there was talk about you know an, an, a new film. And now all of a sudden there's this huge hit play uh, over in the UK and it's going to be coming to Broadway that carries on the, the, the story, the Harry Potter story. So... Um, but, you know, it's funny. We've got a story coming up if we if we have a, a, ch a chance to get to it about Daniel Radcliffe. And he's talking about coming back potentially as as Harry Potter. So, um, you know, I, I was trying to explain. I think I mentioned this on the program before to uh, uh, someone I work with who's uh, quite a bit younger than I am. She just couldn't understand why The Force Awakens was such a big deal, why it was coming out. And I said, look, you're a Harry Potter fan, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So imagine, imagine, uh, 30 years from now, you got kids of your own, 
and you find out that the original cast of Harry Potter is coming back to do a new series of Harry Potter adventure films. Would you be excited? And she's like, I totally get it. I get it. So, um, but you're right, Jim. They're without, you don't just don't do that. You don't retire franchises anymore. George walked away, literally walked away from it after, uh, after the original trilogy. Yeah, you can't walk away from things anymore. You get courted back. Uh, you have to come back for financial reasons a lot of times. Uh, Lucas was pretty good with his money, I guess, when you have billions of it. I mean, what could go wrong? Sure. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to, to take all that into account when you look back and you're like, say, well, I'm going to rank these films because that seems to be such a popular thing to do. People love lists nowadays. You know, David Letterman oh, had it right for all those years. Top 10 list. Yeah. Forget about it. People eat up the list and they love to rank things. So, um, that, you know, maybe that might shine a light on like why an older guy like me might want to put something like the Phantom Menace up higher on the list because, um, and I think that, you know, some of our younger listeners might've put Phantom Menace up on all this, but then as they get older, they start looking at it. Oh, well, you know, Jar Jar is campy and all of this, uh, this, this, uh, political, uh, Babble about blockades and all this. This is this is boring me or whatever. You know what the, but yeah. but but they they might then get older and start looking at back at it more nostalgically. That's just what I'm saying. You know, I I can't believe I didn't uh, mention this earlier because you know we we usually uh, you know we'll come back from uh, you know being off for the week and uh, Jim you'll say well what's what Star Wars stuff did you do and. So many times ago, I God, I don't think I did anything. I didn't do anything Star Wars. And you always have some sort of crazy Star Wars adventure. Well, I had one. I had one. Some very good friends of mine. Uh, they they have twin boys, and it was their eighth birthday, and they're big Star Wars fans. And they had a Star Wars themed birthday party. And I'm going to make sure mm-hmm. I only get permission because I want to post some photos from this birthday party. First of all. All the kids that came, and my daughter and my son were invited, all the kids that came got Jedi robes, handmade Jedi robes. Wow. Nicely made. And they were, and they fit. I mean, these kids, I mean, you know, my son's four and my daughter's uh, eight. And so, you know, that was pretty much the age range from like four to ten. And they, they had these kids. They knew who was coming, and they had an idea of the sizes. It was incredible. And they, they took pool noodles, and they made lightsabers out of them. And so the kids could uh, go in the backyard and just, just beat the crap out of each other with these pool noodles. And, um, but, you That's know, awesome. it, it, it was amazing. It was fantastic. That's awesome. And, yes. uh, and the, 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 all the food, they had, you know, Star Wars macaroni and cheese. Uh, they they oh they must have bought maybe fifteen of those those different molds and made you know chocolates you know Hanan, I got to eat a Hanan carbonite you know white chocolate it was fantastic um, so much fun I, I mean they banners everywhere they called it uh, uh, Star Wars Eight Return of the Party and they had like a logo they actually had a green screen set up on the deck and, and they were taking pictures of the kids in their robes. And then they, uh, you know, were putting like scenes from the movie, you know, behind them. Wow. It, it, it was amazing. But I was listening in as the kids were sitting at the big table and they were all chatting about star Wars and they started asking about their favorite characters. 
And there was one kid there and he said, my favorite character is Jar Jar Binks. And there was, now keep in mind, you know, four to ten, there was a hush that came over that table. Oh, my God. He dropped the Binks and, you know, the plastic silverware just dropped (laughs) and everybody just looked. And I felt so bad. The, The kid was so sincere and I just felt so bad for him. So later... You know, they're all playing, and I just kind of sidled up next to him, and I said, hey. Uh, and and at this point, you know, my friends had outed me and said, oh, you know, Mr. Jason, he knows quite a bit about Star Wars. Blah, blah, uh-huh, blah. Uh-huh. So, and so I, I, I sidled up to this kid, and I said, hey, you know what? It, it, don't feel bad. I said, I love Jar Jar Binks. And he, the kid looked at you and said, don't sweat it, J-Zone. I listen to RFR. I know. <laughs> No, but I did. I do think I made him feel a little bit better. But it was it was very it was it was very interesting. You know, no, wait a, a second, wait a love... second. So yeah, hold yeah. on, hold on, okay. slow uh-huh. down, because uh-huh. I, I cut off I cut off your story, and I don't intend to do that. So you know, right? So um, <laughs> what I want to know uh-huh. though is, I mean, you, so you, you you saddled up to this young man, and you yeah. said, "Listen, kid, don't listen to these people." <laughs> I am into Jar Jar Binks. I think he's the best, and it would be cool if they put him in Star Wars Episode Eight. Lisa back. <laughs> I, I I didn't go that far. I I didn't go that. You know, I want. I didn't want to oversell it. Okay, but I, okay. I but I wanted to make him feel better. You know, uh, because it. You know, it was. It just was. It was. You could tell there was an awkwardness there, and I I really felt for him, and I I thought for sure. You know, these kids were going to be like, oh, yeah, Jar Jar, I love Jar Jar. But my theory is that, and all these kids had seen Episode 7, all of them. And my theory is that Episode 7 comes along, and you got Ray, and you got Finn, and you got Kylo, and you've got, they've, they've moved on. They've moved on, and and uh, there's, a, there's a certain um, coolness about these new characters. And, uh, you know, I think we, we're seeing, in a way, the birth of the Force Awakens generation. You know, well, these are that kids that smells are... stink with. <laughs> it was fascinating. It was fat, but this party was phenomenal. I gotta, I gotta see if I can share the pictures because they were, they were just. I know people, you know, have great Star Wars parties, but this one, I can't believe they made Jedi ropes. Now, what I did love is that. Um, <laughs> So they all had Jedi robes except for Parker because my son brought his own. He brought his own. Right. <laughs> B-Y-O-J-R, Jedi and robes. They were getting all the robes out for the kids as they were coming in. And he looked at him. He's like, it's okay. I uh, brought mine. And I'm, I'm already his... a made man. <laughs> Step aside. Because, you know, as I've said, he he likes the Jedi Luke robe, which is, you know, sure. you know sleeveless. and and all of that, but he uh, he was just in, he was in heaven. So it it was a lot of fun, a um, lot of love for the new characters. I mean, they were all about Ray and Finn and Kylo. Um, they, that, that's that was that definitely they, they're the they're the new stars. They really are for this for this generation. So all right, well, real quick because I yeah. never told you about the birthday party I threw for Michael when he was four years old. This is gonna be real quick, and we'll get away from the birthday party talk because we have. <laughs> Stuff to talk about. Lots of stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. And uh, 
he was four years old and we decided to do a star Wars birthday party for Michael. So I reached out to some guys from the five Oh first. I had uh, John Duffy. Who's the drunk stormtrooper from Chris Mock's uh, first film. Uh, the, the beer, I should say drunk, uh, the beer drink. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a great roster that you're building. <laughs> hey son, here's the stormtrooper. Can't even walk a straight line. Can't even walk a straight line. That's great. <laughs> And then the other guy was um, the Darth Vader I got was uh, Toby Markham, who ended up uh, being really well-known for a few years in the cosplay world as Jack Sparrow Trooper. Okay. Oh, that guy's but, great. So he was fantastic. These yeah. guys were great guys. And so they came, Darth Vader, two stormtroopers, and Boba Fett. And we had them down in the basement, and all the kids were in the backyard. And the deal was I was going to fire off. I, of course, did an audio production intro. Okay. <laughs> kids were saying nobody knew what to expect. This was all top secret. These are four-year-olds. Four, four, five, six-year-old, uh-huh. you know, yeah. kids, little right. kids. And, um, and so I had my buddy Kurt down in the basement with the 501st guys, and we have doors leading up, uh, you know, steps into the backyard right by the patio. So I fired off this audio intro. It's just cranking in the backyard. And um, the kids are all looking and stuff. And then my buddy, Kurt, lights up all of these smoke bombs in the basement, throws the basement door open. Smoke goes flying up. And here comes Darth Vader and Stormtroopers. Oh, my God. One kid freaked out, climbed up a tree. (laughs) I mean, we spent the whole party trying to get him down, luring him down with everything under the sun. But most of the kids were into it. And I knew that they would be a little bit scared when Darth Vader comes walking in, you know, what the heck? But so I gave them bags of Star Wars action figures to hand to the kids, you know? So I'm like, all right, they're good guys, right? And then the photo ops and everything. And then the game that I created for the kids to play was I had my buddy who uh, has a printing shop. I gave him a picture of Princess Leia from A New Hope, okay? Mm -hmm. But I had him remove her hair buns, her star puffs, okay? So it was just, and so we made them into these things that, you know, we put the sta- the tape on the back. It was pin the buns to Leia, you know? Oh, right? Well, that's, right? Y- I hear, yes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> now, what were you going to say? I, no, I, I, no, it's In the brilliant. Tales, I have to find the poster. With Pin the, the puffs. Fisher. Pin the puffs Pin on the, the princess. Pin the puffs on the princess. Yeah. Pin the puffs on the princess. You know what? It's coming back. Pin the puffs on the princess. It's coming back. It's going to be at the Celebration <laughs> Bash. Yes. The Rebel Force Radio kickoff now bash. Now we're talking. Pin the puffs to the princess <laughs> is going to happen for prizes. Pin the puffs to the princess for prizes. Mm. It's going to happen at the bash. I'm now so what you excited. don't know, it's really going to be Carrie Fisher. And it's going to be real pins. So <laughs> she doesn't care. She no, doesn't no, care. It'll no. be all good. So we'll have that dog with her. He'll be drooling <laughs> all over the place. It'll be a lot of laughs. We'll have, you know, Tyler, the turn following Gary, the dog with a pooper scooper. Yeah. It'll be hilarious. You guys want, want to shoot video of that. Right. You got to put the, the hel- you, you put the helmet on, put the blast shield down. And we spin you around three times and then off you go. The blast shield. See, this is really, you know. Going into all sorted directions. I think we definitely have a winner here. Pin the puffs on the princess is going to be very, very bad. No, it's going to be a lot of fun. Trust me on that. Oh, if only little Jonah was listening, he'd hear all his he'd hear his favorite character on the show peppered through. Yeah. 
That's uh, that's how little, we book them, little Jonah. Hey, uh, you know what we do? We've got so much great stuff to talk about. Uh, obviously, uh, Rogue One uh, in the news right now. Bob Iger coming out. He's weighing in on the whole uh, expectations game about what the film might bring in at the box office. Uh, plus, some news about uh, what's beyond the seven, eight, and nine of the Star Wars uh, saga. Uh, Mark Hamill, he was in my own backyard, if you can believe it. He was in Cleveland, Ohio for an event, uh, not a Star Wars event. We've got uh, some details from that. And then uh, our pal David Collins from Star Wars Oxygen, he's going to be dropping by to talk about the uh, the big story from last week and the replacement of Alexander Desplat. You know, by the way, <laughs> I, I know that I say it wrong, so I'm just going to, I'm just really going to go for it now. <laughs> Alexandre, Alexandre uh, Des, Desplat uh, being replaced by, by uh, Miguel uh, uh, Gaia Keno. <laughs> what do you guys Giacano. want from us? We're from the Midwest. What of do you course. want from us? Of course. Well, anyway, so yeah, we, uh, obviously yeah, having David on to talk about that is, uh, is a real treat. We've got questions for him. Uh, as I'm sure uh, you do as well. And this is a guy that understands the whole process of film composition. So interesting to get his take. Uh, and uh, But, but uh, we've been enjoying your, your voicemails lately. And uh, Jim, why don't we do that now? Why don't we get a voicemail before we uh, go on with the rest of the show? Yeah, before we jump into the news, let's, yeah. uh, let's dip into our voicemail inbox here. Again, these are unscreened. Totally chosen by random. Unscripted. We don't know what we're going to get. Unscripted. Unscripted, but uh, I was going to say unsolicited, but we do ask you guys. <laughs> but uh, let's see uh, Let's see who's calling us today. Hey, Rebel Force Radio. This is Claire calling from Stevensville, Michigan, not too far from Chicago. Um, I wanted to say a big happy anniversary slash birthday for 10 years of podcasting. I know I really enjoyed listening over the past I believe it's been three years since I started listening. Um, I was going to call in about a theory that I have. It's, don't worry. It's not a Snoke theory. It's not a Ray theory. It is actually a movie release theory. Um, I think uh, you were talking two weeks ago about when they were going to release Episode 8. I think that next year they are going to be releasing one movie every month starting in May. And they'll do it in release order. Oh. So in May they'll do A New Hope, June... Empire Strikes Back, July, Return of the Jedi, August, The Phantom Menace, September, Attack the Clones, October, um, Revenge of the Sith, November, The Force Awakens, and then December will be Episode 8. Um, I will bet a little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack on my theory. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. And you can, like, you'll be able to buy, like, a whole um, subscription, and you can get all your tickets all at once and wow. that kind of thing. That's what I think is going to happen. So... Um, enjoy your big anniversary, and uh, I look forward to many more years of listening to Rebel Force Radio. May the Force be with you always. Oh, wow, that was fantastic! I'm, I, I want to. I'll go on record and say I'll be angry if that doesn't happen now. Right, she got right. me so pumped for it. I hope the people at Lucasfilm are hearing this one because this is gold. Yeah, I mean, really, and and the way that she strategizes her release where she puts out the original trilogy first because you want to sweep the summer, you know, which is your prime movie-going months. You want to sweep that with the original trilogy because the fan base for that is the largest. Mm. Then, come into the fall, let's go back to the prequels. That's great. You know, as the weather gets colder, we stay nice and toasty warm with prequel love in the theaters. Then when that 
holiday movie season kicks in again around Thanksgiving time, you're putting out The Force Awakens to prime our appetites for episode eight. This this is great. This is fantastic. Uh, she, Claire needs to uh, send her resume to Lucasfilm. Maybe she can get involved in the uh, marketing department there because uh, with ideas like that, uh, well, I'm telling I, you, fans I, would be happy. And I love that idea of having some sort of a, a subscription where you get vouchers, yeah, you know, and and get them all at one time and then use them. Uh, I I love the idea. But but what about what about a, a Rogue One popping back into the theaters? Uh, do you think you know? Do you think that Rogue One, or for that matter, you know, the Han Solo film that's going to be coming out these these Star Wars stories, will they get in rotation? Now we do know, as far as the TV deals are concerned, those films are part of those TV deals. Uh, so as far as the broadcast rights and all that, they're 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 part of the rotation, but. This, uh, you know, being re-released into the theaters. Jim, would you think these films will fit in? Would they try to slot it in before, you know, as a lead-in to uh, Episode 4? Well, essentially, Rogue One will be the lead-in to Episode 4 if we pay attention to her release strategy for 2017. Because you have to consider Rogue One will still be floating around in some second-run theaters as late as April leading into May. So in May is when you would want to start with your uh, screenings of the uh, of the original trilogy. Do I have that right? Is that when we would start this? Yeah, yeah, that's what she was <laughs> and saying. It'd be it perfect. It is perfect because then we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of Star Wars. Yeah. So it'd be fantastic. So, I mean, Rogue One will have just its natural release would be part of that marathon, year-long marathon. But uh, because it's, it's natural theater, life will be coming to an end. You'll still see it at some second-run theaters and and some of your more um, what, what's uh, the word I'm looking for? Uh, I want to say gourmet theaters, but <laughs> the first theaters, run, the first run theaters, well, theaters that have special features to them and stuff. Sometimes movies will stick around there for a lot longer, like oh. a place have the D box seats or, right. or the, the smell of vision. <laughs> you know, my, my theater, uh, we're a little bit late to the party, but they just got recliners. Yes, yeah, yes, the recliners that's nice. with the big cup holders and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, let's just let's just commit right now that if um, it, what was her name? Do you remember Claire? Claire. If Claire's theory uh, doesn't come true, we're all just going to go to Jimmy's house once a month, starting in May. Is that cool? You check with Wendy. Yes. Make sure yes. That's right. All right, and we'll all gather around your TV once yes. a month for those nuts, those seven months leading into episode eight. Yes, Claire's coming. Everyone's coming. Everyone who listens to this show is coming. That's great. Claire, thank you for, uh, for, for leaving that voicemail. Thanks for the, the anniversary wishes, too. Um, I love the idea. I'm going to give her a galactic snack pack just for coming up with such oh, a good idea. She doesn't even it's have to bet the galactic snack pack. Such a good idea. Galactic snack pack coming your way, Claire. Uh, you, you know what's in it. Awesome little Debbie. She, she was hitting around. She wanted one anyway. So yeah, She did drop uh, it, yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, lay that on her because I, I'm so impressed by that idea, and I think it's fabulous. Even if it doesn't happen, I'm going to make it happen just like in my, my family room. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, 
you'll see posts about that. <laughs> no, you <laughs> won't. Um, but uh, yeah, Little Debbie, each and every week here on Rebel Force Radio, we're giving away the Galactic Snack Pack because we love you guys and uh, we love your support. And Little Debbie is right there along with us. They agree. They love Star Wars fans and they want you guys to be rewarded with awesome goodness from Little Debbie Snacks like Cosmic Cupcakes. So, Claire, be sure to email us your shipping address, show at rebelforceradio.com, and we will get that Galactic Snack Pack in the mail to you ASAP. We do it all the time here at Rebel Force Radio because, of course, Little Debbie is the official snack of fans across the galaxy. What's going on, Rebel Forces Radio? It's early Sunday morning. I'm listening to the uh, August 5th uh, podcast, and uh, <clears throat> I, you were talking about the force jump of Luke Skywalker, how he was jumping around on Dagobah. You guys forgot to mention during the uh, lightsaber battle on uh, uh, Cloud City that when he fell into the carbonite chamber, he force jumped out of the chamber into the power lines above, of which, of course, Vader then said his famous impressive. So, you guys, don't forget about that. He was doing the, the power jumps uh, even in Empire. Okay. That is true. That is true. <laughs> I, uh, I did. I mean, I did. I didn't discount that. Uh huh. But we were. I believe we were specifically talking about Luke's training on Dagobah, and how that wasn't really part of the normal regiment. Now that jumping around and everything. I, I think Luke may have just tapped into that when he, you know, realized that his goose was being cooked or frozen in carbonite, whatever you want. <laughs> but um, and and you know, it just. It was like a natural instinct. I think Luke was tapping into a lot of force abilities all at once that not even he knew he could uh, he could uh, deal with. Um, he definitely did have that telepathic connection with Leia uh, that was established before Cloud City. But his ability to do the high leaps and everything that really wasn't. Refresh my memory. What were we talking about with the with I, the I jumps? Can't I can't remember. We got into uh, some sort of discussion about Luke's training on uh, Dagobah, and I think we were talking about the fighting skills of the Jedi, or yeah. Luke in the original trilogy differed greatly from that of the Jedi, who were very acrobatic in. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of jumps, and uh, we were talking about the prequels, you know, that one jump that Obi-Wan does uh, right before he cuts Maul in half is a little shaky to me. It's still a little shaky. Like, where does he get his footing? Where is it, it almost looks like he's being pulled up by a, a wire in a crane at that moment. A little bit, yeah. I mean, because there's two big jumps that he does. He does one earlier in the in the fight where he's on one um, sort of bridge and he jumps up onto the other bridge. And that one looks great because you see him, he kind of, you know, push, pushes his shoulders up and, you know, th- makes this leap. But he's holding on to that little knob, you know, uh, as underneath Maul. And so now, again, suspension of disbelief. I get it, right? But it just looks really awkward and strange. Uh, whereas Luke's looks totally legit. The one it just in uh, doesn't- Cloud City. Yeah, it just doesn't look like Obi Wan has really uh, anywhere to sort of plant himself to push up. Yeah, so I mean, right. you just can you can just say, "Well, you know, that's the Force." Just, uh, it works it, in mysterious it, ways. But you know, that's how it goes. That's one of those where I just like George is like, eh, "That's good enough." <laughs> Sometimes you know, it's just because <laughs> uh, anything's you know? possible in uh, you know with the. The palette of tools that that George has. But, uh, George George is smart. He looks at it and goes, it's good enough. Fans will explain it. 
he did put the ball in our court a lot of times, and I think he was fine with that. You know, you're right. He did, and there were things that he, you know, I think um, deliberately left for us to, to speculate about or, you know, for Pablo to tweet about. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. Hey, speaking of George, uh, I don't know if we have... We've got the story here. You know, Bob Iger um, was at the Goldman Sachs Communicopia, which, by the way, sounds like a big music festival. <laughs> right? You know, there's Lilith Fair. There's, uh, um, what's, what's, the, what's the one? Like Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza and this Communicopia. Yeah, there's a bunch Bob of bankers. Iger, <laughs> Bob Iger pulls up into, he's in a VW bus, <laughs> comes out. Smoke pouring out of it like Cheech and Chong, man. <laughs> hey, hey, man, where's the Communicopia? <laughs> Are you Bob Iger? What happened to you? But uh, so Bob Iger, he was at the Communicopia and uh, was talking about where Star Wars is headed in the next decade. Most of the movies we make are not one-off movies. I had a meeting yesterday with Kathy Kennedy, and we mapped out, well, we reviewed the Star Wars plans that we have till 2020. We have movies in development for Star Wars till then, and we started talking about what we're going to do in 2021 and beyond. And, that, and so she's not just making a Star Wars movie. She's making a Star Wars universe of sorts. And we had a similar meeting with Marvel, I don't know, a week and a half ago to plot that out where we've got movies either in development or production, um, some nearing completion through the end of this decade. And we, too, are starting to talk about what do we do the next day, decade and so on. So it's, I think it's a very, very different, very different approach. Was there ever any doubt? For you, Jim, that when you heard about this acquisition that they were doing seven, eight, and nine, they were doing Star Wars stories, individual character stories. Was there ever any doubt to you that they were just going to keep going? No doubt. Yeah, me neither. No doubt whatsoever. I didn't think that they were just going to fold after they uh, did the trilogy that they're working on now and just fill in the off years with spinoff films. I, I, I did not think that at all. As a matter of fact, I have an, my eyes on a bigger prize. It's that much-promised 12-episode saga that George had always talked about in the past. I'd like to see that realized with the uh, you know new ownership or current ownership with Disney. I, it, it still feels new to me as it we're does. approaching 40 years of Star Wars. <laughs> You know, the, we're we're coming up on four years of a relationship with with Disney. Right. We're going to celebrate the fourth anniversary of the sale from Lucas to Disney this October. Next month, four years. But that's only 10% of the time I've been a Star Wars fan, so <laughs> it feels relatively new to me. So yeah. uh, apologies for any sort of... Uh, misrepresentation of time which is something i often do but uh, but it, i'm always surprised because i you know i'll talk to people who are who are star wars fans i mean that maybe not to the extent that you know a lot of our listeners are and and we are but uh there's an assumption and i think it's just because we have sort of grown accustomed uh at least in the film universe and i think to the sort of you know the, the average joe on the street is that star wars comes back for a while they do some movies and then it goes away and then it comes back for a while and they goes away and i there's an assumption that with nine you know that that that's it you know they came back they had their 
you know, their big revival, their renaissance, and they're they're going away. I'm I'm surprised at how many people that I just run into um, think that. Because people will say to me, "Well, what are you going to talk about on your show after episode nine? <laughs> well, probably what we were talking about, you know, after episode three. Yeah, you know, but but uh, there, I don't think there's ever going to be a a, a a big lull again, as long as the money's coming in. And the question is, well, how far can you stretch this? How far can you keep it going? And and the thing it has to keep doing is reinventing itself and keep snowballing. So now, you know, we're building on what we know of the original trilogy with the sequel trilogy. So from that point forward, we should be able to build on not only the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, but the following trilogy and films should be able to tap into that. So you might be seeing spinoff films featuring newer characters, like, say, for example, a Poe Dameron standalone film. Not exactly at the top of everyone's list right now, but as the character becomes more and more established and he's featured in more films and gets to be more known by fandom, then the possibility of a Poe Dameron spinoff film or even a Poe Dameron trilogy could be (laughs) realistic. I'm just saying... It's on the top of Oscar Isaac's list. It's not. No, I think on the top... Well, Oscar, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely on the top of his list, but on the top of Bob Iger's list, Ah. I believe would be the follow-up trilogy, episodes 10, 11, and 12, with no downtime between... I mean, that's it. Maybe... Hmm. But they're not fools. They do recognize the tradition of Star Wars. So maybe a little bit of downtime between trilogies would be appropriate. Maybe fandom would need that cushion. I, I See, I don't think so. I think... No, I'm not saying 10 years or something, but right. more than just a couple of years. Maybe ice it for five years. Oh, I don't think... No, I don't think they would do that. I think they I would just look so. at that as, you know, a loss of the momentum, and, yep, and yep. they're going to continue to follow the, the And of course, of course, what they'd be worried about formula. is, yeah. what are the stockholders going to say? <laughs> yeah, of course. And yeah, you're right, Jason. The Marvel formula has been established, and that is something of a template I believe Lucasfilm has been following to a certain degree. I think, I think Disney saying they're going to take a break from Star Wars would be like Apple saying they're going to take a break from the iPhone. Okay, we're not going to do a new iPhone for the next couple of years. Well, I'm just looking further down the road. Yeah. And considering how show business shifts and changes year to year and platforms for releases keep evolving and consumer taste keeps changing. And you never know what kind of world events might come into play that could shake up things. So. There's so many different variables at play that it's it's hard to predict the future. But I think, yeah, the smart money would be that Disney just keeps pumping out Star Wars films and maybe more than just one a year. Yeah. Consider that. Well, because we know the Marvel, they put out three films a year. Yeah, uh, that, that's interesting. Um, th- th- that's a case. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I think a, so much of this rests on the success of Rogue One. If Rogue One proves that there is a big audience uh, for these standalone, you know, stories, you know, one-offs, then we may see more character study, you know, films come out in, in, in one year, but there's such massive productions. Uh, and, and to me, they feel bigger in scope than some of the individual story films uh, in, in the Marvel uh, franchise personally 
Um, we'll mm-hmm. see. I don't know. We, we haven't seen Rogue One. Maybe Rogue One will feel, you know, every bit as, you know, as simple as Ant-Man. I don't know. If, 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 if is Rogue One the Ant-Man of, uh, of Star Wars? Not that Ant-Man wasn't good. People loved it. And it was, it was a bit of a, a sleeper in a way. It surprised a lot of people how well it did. But, uh, you know, is Rogue One going to be like that? I, I don't know. Uh, here's a question. Has Bob Iger seen Rogue One? I will say, since we're on the subject, I did see Rogue One, which is really interesting in terms of the Star Wars storytelling. This is the film we have out this December. It's what we're calling a Star Wars story. So it does not fit neatly into what we call the Skywalker saga. The first six were George's. The seventh was the one that we released last December. The eighth is fully shot and being edited. That comes out in December of 17. And then the ninth, we just had a pitch from the director because he's just going into pre-production, and that comes out in 2019. Then in between, we have Rogue One, which is this December, which is about a band of rebels that are plotting to steal the plans to the Death Star, a story that would have taken place right before George's first movie. And then we have a movie coming out a couple of years that is an origin story about Han Solo and Chewie, and we've already cast a young Han Solo, and then we're already developing another Star Wars story for, I want to say 2020, but even I'm starting to lose track. Uh, that we know we have not announced what it is, but we've got a writer on it already. Right, that's that Ewan McGregor Obi Wan film. Well, <laughs> you remember, you know, the Josh Shrink project, uh, which uh, we heard insiders saying that was a Boba Fett centric film. Yeah, uh, it's very possible that that's the one that uh, they still want to try to fit in there somewhere. So uh, Bob Iger sort of laying it out where Star Wars is heading. But more importantly, he does say that he has seen Rogue One. And uh, let, let me just, you know, pay attention, close attention to the rhetoric here. And, uh, and, and the way he used the term he used to describe it was um, interesting. And again, you know, gosh, guys, I can't wait for Rogue One. And I'm not I'm not out there saying it's going to be a bad movie. I think it's going to be a good movie. But but. Um, Bob Iger said the film is interesting. Now, listen, in terms of Star Wars storytelling, but I mean, what do you, what, what, when somebody (laughs) serves you up some food that they've worked really hard on, here's a meal. This is Hungarian goulash, my grandmother's recipe. What do you think? You take a few bites of it and go, Hmm, it's interesting. (laughs) That's not really well, it really it's wasn't a huge really vote of confidence, right? <laughs> it's not. No. Well, listen, when Bob Iger revealed that he saw The Force Awakens for the first time, I want to quote him by saying, you know, he, he said, quote, I can't wait for the world to see it. I mean, it was like uh-huh. he was jumping off skin, off his skin. J.J. created something special. Things of that nature. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to comment on this. Yeah. And these types of executives, when films go bad. They want to distance themselves immediately. Well, well, the director screwed that one up. We we couldn't do anything about it. You know, they'll always find a scapegoat. Yeah, so sure. I notice that people who sit up on top of the mountain, they are always hesitant when it comes to revealing a preference, an opinion, or even an endorsement. They're very hesitant about that, even if they own the thing, like Iger does with Rogue One. It's... Interesting. <laughs> you yeah, know, when, when I heard him say that, it to me it was like you know telling, saying that the 
the girl next door has a nice personality. Yeah. You know, again, she has a nice smile. Again, <laughs> I believe he doesn't want to commit because the film is still being molded at this time into what he wants it to be. I don't think it's the film is quite where he wants it to be as a Star Wars film. I really don't. Yeah. And that's why we've had reshoots. That's why we've had the changes in personnel. Um, and, and that's why that's just why we are um, asking questions. And that's all we're doing. We're asking questions. And we're just, you know, hearing what, and, and Iger had more to say about Rogue One as well at this, uh, this uh, communicopia. But Rogue One, we're real, it's, a, it's an experiment of sorts because we're not, Star Wars has only been told as a saga, and this is a moment in time, and we've loved what we've seen. I think uh, you've been setting records on sort of number of views of the trailers online. And, and they- There's a lot of curiosity about it because it's Star Wars. So yes, the marketing material that we've had out has been extremely well received. We've not ever felt it would do the level that Force Awakened did, but we've been very, very encouraged that the level of interest in this is as high as it was for Force Awaken. Awakens. Oh, Bob! See, Bob couldn't even spit that sentence out because he <laughs> knows what he was saying was a bunch of BS. There is no way in the universe that the anticipation for Rogue One comes anywhere close to what we were feeling Go this time it. last year for The Force Awakens. Right, that just... is so, and Bob couldn't even spit out that sentence completely without stuttering because he knows he's blowing smoke. Force Awakens. Awake, awaken. Force Awakens. 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 <laughs> well, you right. know it, ladies I... and gentlemen. Swank, you know it. Everyone yeah. listening to the show knows it. Listen, okay. do, are we dying to see it? Yes. But are, are we as hungry for this film release as we were for The Force Awakens? Hell no. Hell no, we are not. Yeah. And I'm sorry, you know, you, a lot of Star Wars fans are going to take that personally and go, well, you're no, who are you to speak for me? You're, you're not the spokesperson for all fans. No, but I'm somebody who gets emails from you all every day. I look at stuff on social media. I, I talk to my friends. I talk to Swank. We talk to our friends. The anticipation was completely off the charts for The Force Awakens, as it should have been. It was the return of the Star Wars saga 10 years later to the silver screens. So it doesn't matter. Episode 8 won't compare. The anticipation for that will not compare to the anticipation for The Force Awakens. It just won't. It's the nature of the beast. The Force Awakens heralded the big return. It was a return of Han, Luke, and Leia. Rogue One, get that. Nobody is anticipating the return of Jin, K2, and, and Bays. I mean, nobody is like anticipating that. I mean, you know what I mean. I know you exactly know what, I mean. what you mean. You're, you're right. absolutely nobody. right. Now, in fairness, he said interest, not anticipation, though, um, in context of what he's saying, he, I think he's using interest as a substitute for anticipation. I think that. Uh, you can logically assume he sort of meant that, uh, but he did say interest. We've been very, very encouraged that the level of interest in this is as high as it was for Force Awakens. Awakens. All right, listen. This time a year ago, my mom was becoming interested in the Force Awakens. Shall we call her right now on the show and ask <laughs> her if she's interested in Rogue One? She's going to be like, Rogue what, honey? <laughs> no, it's not going to... And we all use our parents as the gauge. Oh, sure we do. Sure we do. Mainstream audience acceptance. Well, you we look at what mom and dad have to say. Your about dad's going to be disappointed because Poe Dameron is not in this movie. 
Oh, and I know he's, he's not, a big Poe Dameron fan. And you know darn well there's people walking into the mo- movie theater on December 16th, and they're going to be going, well, where's Ray? Where's <laughs> – I mean, you yeah. laugh, but it's a reality. No, it is. I, I've been saying it a long time. I've been saying it right here that, uh, you know, I felt that they should have probably branded this film more around Vader than, uh, you know, the, 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 the Dark Trooper or uh, whatever the heck what, – what is it? Yeah, the Dark Trooper, right? Death Trooper. Death Trooper. Death Trooper. Yes. Death. death, Dark, Darth. Darth, Death, Death, Darth. Now I'm starting like to a- sound like one of our parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Have I reached that point? Yes, you uh, have. It's all the same. Uh, yes, you but have. But I've just thought that if they would have done that, it would have contextualized the movie as, you know, being something prior to uh, at least Return of the Jedi in the minds of... Uh, of the people out there. Uh, but, you know, the mar- we haven't really seen the full might of the marketing. Uh, as we record this show, we're uh, one week away, as we release the show, rather. We are one week away from Force Friday, Rogue Friday, and the onslaught of merchandise, which all the analysts are saying and the licensees are saying won't be uh, nearly what it was for The Force Awakens. Uh, so, Jim, that that's more proof to your point. I mean... If if the interest, if the anticipation was on the same level as The Force Awakens, uh, then I don't think you would have the the licensees and, uh, you know, the retailers and, you know, all the pundits out there saying that this is going to be, you know, uh, dramatically smaller, you know, in terms of scope of the release. You know, maybe what Bob is looking at is he's looking at those, you know, YouTube views on the trailer, which I'm sure that's probably a pretty decent metric to look at. And he says it should be expected because it's Star Wars. Right. So he knows that that stuff is built in. But he's looking beyond that because he knows his shareholders are looking beyond that, too. And they don't care. I mean, they don't care if it's an episodic film or if it's a standalone film. They they see Star Wars and they're expecting big dividends. And so he is doing damage control here right now. And this totally matches up with what we've been hearing going on around the hallways at Lucasfilm and whatnot, where it was generally uh, accepted internally that there was no way the company is going to be able to match the year they had last year with The Force Awakens, this year with Rogue One. I mean, everyone knew. So, But the shareholders look at that as a down year then. They'll say, well, you know, it's you're again, I said last week, victim of your own success. And here we got the guy sitting up on top of the mountain who's saying exactly the same stuff we were reporting last week. So they're being cautious. They're being totally cautious with Rogue One and they want it. Believe me, everyone wants it to do really well. No one predicted The Force Awakens was going to do the type of box office it did as we went through all that last week as well. So now we're hearing it, though, from uh, the guy up in the ivory tower who's, you know, he's basically sending this up as a warning beacon to his shareholders right now. It has nothing to do with us fans. We don't care. We're going to go. I'm going to go see it 500 times. Trust me, I will. But well, he's not talking to us. He's talking to communicopia. He's not talking to us. (laughs) (laughs) But the purpose of this was to update the investors. Right, right. You know, I, I they could call it whatever, Goldman Sachs, Communicopia 2016, whatever. However they want to try to make Bob Iger sitting up on a stage talking about, you know, talk, addressing his investors. However they want to make it sound sexy 
<laughs> That's what I think they're trying to do here. But um, the only thing we find sexy with Bob Iger is when he talks about Star Wars. And um, <laughs> and it's just not the unbridled gushing he was doing for The Force Awakens. You're just not hearing that in his commentary. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know what my wife, whenever we order some food and she goes, I say, what do, what do you think? You know, something we never had before. What do you think? She goes, oh, it's interesting. I know she's never going to order that again. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm, are again, you saying that Bob Iger's never going to order Rogue One again on the menu? Or from the I don't menu? Know. I don't know. I mean, w- could this film be sequel worthy? It'll all come down to the box office. Yeah. I mean, that's all any of this stuff comes down to as star Wars fans, we might think that this is the greatest thing ever, a legit prequel, a legit setup to the events that unfold in a new hope happening in this film. I mean, just, just hearing myself say that by the, the hairs on my arms stand up and I get goosebumps and stuff that excites me. The return of Darth Vader to the silver screen, but it has to be done right, you know, and that's what we want and that's what we expect. And I, I don't expect it to be. I don't want it to be bad. Mm. I don't want it to be bad. I just don't want to come off as some like raging fanboy talking about Suicide Squad. That's the last thing I want to do here. But I, I do need to sit here and, and look deep and read between the lines at what Bob Iger's saying and analyze what he's saying. You know, you can accept everything you want on face value, but I'm not that kind of guy. I like to dig deep and I like to try to get a deeper understanding to these comments being made, especially by a corporate guy like Iger, who I, th- I usually can like see right through those corporate guys. So that's why, that's why I'm just going to shut up right now. <laughs> All right. Well, while you're doing that, I'm going to talk about Lupita Nyong'o. That's one name I know how to pronounce. But we have this story last week. She was out promoting um, her uh, upcoming role in uh, King or excuse me, Queen of Katwe. 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 Yes. It's in the Takedona system. (laughs) But it's not part of Takedona proper. She was at a film festival and they were asking her about episode eight. And the question was, what was it like working with Ryan? Now, we had this story just last week, and it was fresh at the time. And she said, Ryan, I haven't worked with him yet. I've yet to shoot. That's in my future. So then this week, we open up the news to find that Lupita was on Ellen. And she's talking about the fact that there's a rumor going around that she's not in episode eight and that she wanted to correct this rumor. So here she is on Ellen trying to uh, write the uh, right the wrong here. So there's a rumor, and I know that this is not true, but there is a rumor that you're not in the next Star Wars movie, but you are in the next Star Wars movie. Yeah, I don't know where this rumor came from. I have no idea. I was kind of, it hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Because I've shot my scenes and, um, yeah. What? When? Last week? Right after you said you hadn't? I'm confused. Hmm. I'm I confused. am confused, too. I am very confused. But uh, let's hear the whole thing. All right. So there's a rumor, and I know that this is not true, but there is a rumor that you're not in the next Star Wars movie, but you are in the next Star Wars movie. Yeah, I don't know where this rumor came from. I have no idea. I was kind of, It hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> 
because I've shot my scenes and um, yeah, so Star Wars 8, it's coming out. You know, you never really know uh, when you shoot your scenes in a movie, which ones are going to make it and, and all that. So it's always right. fingers crossed, you know, yeah. but well, as far as I know, I'm in it. Yeah, you're in it. But people were saying that you didn't make it in time because you were busy doing something else, but you've shot your scenes. I shot my you're scenes. In the yes, movie. yes. I don't know how to do All right. Well, at least they didn't, they didn't call us out by name on that one. <laughs> no, I think it came from these weird podcasters. <laughs> Wouldn't that be just wonderful? That, that would be great, because we were speculating. We were speculating when we read the story. It was like, well, well we never said, ladies and gentlemen, we never said that she wasn't going to be in the film. We never said that. We said a bunch of other inaccurate stuff, like... <laughs> Like last week, we uh, said, oh, well, she wasn't on the set with any of the principal actors. Do you ever recall seeing her shooting with Harrison Ford? All of her stuff was green screen and mocap. Well, that wasn't the truth at all. That was incorrect. Uh, she was on the set uh, for the uh, for the Force Awakens. She did interact with Daisy and Harrison and and uh, John Boyega. Did she really? Then, yes. And uh, this can be seen. I have no memory of this. Uh, you know, again, it's all so new to us. It's funny how we can consider ourselves to be experts on Star Wars because we've been with it for almost 40 years. So the stuff we've known about for 40 years, yeah, we're experts on. But the stuff we've only known for about eight months, <laughs> we need a learning curve here, folks. We right. need a learning curve. But so that was pointed out to me. And then the other one was um, Artie Shaw. We said she was simply a stand-in for Maz Kanata, which, which isn't really necessarily true. She is a mocap actress, 100%. And so she did the motion capture stuff for Maz. And I think that's something that she shared with Lupita because we've seen shots of Lupita walking around on her knees. We've seen, we've definitely seen all the mocap gear on her face for expression and whatnot. But for the body mocap stuff, that is Artie Shaw, who's, I mean, she's more than just 100% a mocap actress because she did play Gonk, so she does do physical on-screen stuff as well. But um, when it comes to Maz Kanata, she's not a stand-in. And so when you, when you get down to, like, definition of terms like this, when you're talking about someone's career, occasionally that person will be, you know, very willing to correct you if you have a slip of the tongue or what have you. So um, that's the case with Artie Shaw. So I just wanted to put that out there and make yeah. sure everyone's fully aware of that because we, you know, we have a massive audience of Star Wars fans listening, and I don't want people approaching Artie Shaw at a convention saying, well, you know, Jimmy Max said you're just a stand-in. What's up? She'd be like, that guy again? <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, I went back and I looked at the date on this. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o hasn't shot her Star Wars Episode Eight role, yeah. uh, despite Ryan Johnson wrapping production. This is from September 11th. So oh this God. is just a week ago. And, uh, and who reported that again? This is Collider. And um, there's audio, there should be audio on this. There's a video link of this interview that they did with her at, the, uh, at, this, at this festival. I do want to ask you, I know you can't talk about Star Wars specifics, but I, I am But I am curious what it was like working with Ryan. Uh, Ryan, I haven't worked with him yet. Oh. We're yet to shoot. Oh. Yeah, that's I, in my future. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Well, then I will switch gears and say, <laughs> how excited are you uh, for Black Panther? Because I think... All right, well, no one cares about Black Panther, but <laughs> there she is. Um, 
and uh, that was uh, that was a story and that was reported on September 11th. So uh, uh, when she said future, she meant uh, actually in about three hours. I'm going to go and uh, get all mo-capped up and get the dots on my face and uh, start doing some Maz Kanata. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? Um, I, I don't know why she's being elusive and sketchy with the facts in these two interviews, but I do know that Carrie Fisher had to cancel an upcoming convention appearance where she was signed up to do the autograph thing because additional shooting. I don't want to say reshoots. Additional shooting. for <laughs> We used to call them p- uh, pickup shots, you know, uh, right, the pickup right. shots. Um, that's, that's kicking in now here uh, this uh, fall for episode eight. Uh-huh. So Ryan is bringing some of the cast. He's reuniting some of the cast for episode eight to shoot additional footage for that film. And Carrie Fisher is among those on the call sheet. So I'm sure Lapita will be shooting her scenes then, but you also have to consider she could be doing a lot of her work with ILM specifically leading up to that or immediately following that. So uh, there's time, there's plenty of time to be working on episode eight. And I'm certainly not going to start waving red flags and yelling and screaming about uh, reshoots. So that's the difference. See, between additional shooting and reshoots. That's the difference. Most films, especially big tentpole special effects laden films like Star Wars, naturally have in their schedule time to bring back actors for additional shooting because things become made obvious during the editing process that they need something else, something to bridge this scene to that scene or more exposition for this scene or something's missing here. It didn't turn out right here. I'd like a different shot at this one is, is what the director, Ryan Johnson, would be thinking. But uh, So that's additional shooting, pickup shots, whatever. Reshoots indicate something entirely different to me. That says we're going to try to redo sequences of the film. And part of that happened with The Force Awakens, but it was out of bad luck that mm-hmm. that good luck emerged because of Harrison's uh, accident there on the set. Uh, he busted up his foot, so that halted some shooting. And during that downtime, it gave J.J. Abrams time to reconsider the way the chemistry between Finn and Ray was working out. They were too adversarial at first, too much at each other's necks. I think he was trying to duplicate the Han and Leia synergy, but the chemistry between Daisy and John couldn't really supply that. So he reconsidered that and was able to shoot some of their scenes alone on the Falcon before Han and Chewie uh, come and retake ownership of that ship. They, they, they went and redid some of those scenes and, that's where you really see chemistry shining between those two actors. So, you know, uh, good things can come out of bad luck in that case. Um, and that, that was a reshoot specifically because they were reshooting the scene. Uh, the stuff with Lapita and uh, Carrie Fisher getting called back. I believe that that's just part of the, the natural editorial process built into their schedules so it really shouldn't come as a big surprise to anyone that they're going back. Yeah, no, um, definitely not. And, and you're right to point out that, you know, the words that were used um, 
now maybe maybe this is uh you know pr sort of learning because uh well i shouldn't say pr because it wasn't necessarily an official uh, you know company announcement that they were going in for reshoots on rogue one but the the term that was always has always been used uh, was reshoots and in the case of what we're hearing on episode eight the term that's being used uh are is additional shooting so um Definitely a difference, at least in the vocabulary that's being used. Uh, oh, you know what? Mark Hamill, we want to talk about this real quick. So Mark Hamill was in Cleveland. No, I didn't get to go. I really wanted to. I mean, there were, it, was, it was really the kind of coming together of, of two of my worlds. It was content marketing world, 2016. And, uh, you know, that's what I do in the, in, the, in the day job. And I work right downtown and. But it was part of this big conference, and you had to go, you know, it was a three-day conference, and Mark was the closing keynote speaker. And um, for those of you that are wondering, well, why would Mark Hamill be talking at a business conference? Well, he's Luke Skywalker, and he's awesome, and he's Mark Hamill, and why not? Um, but uh, he had a lot of very interesting things to say, um, but uh, and he's such a great storyteller. That's and, and I had some friends who who went and they had never seen Mark sort of do his thing. Now mm-hmm. in this case, there was uh, a moderator. There was somebody interviewing him, and we know that that Mark doesn't need that. You know, you just point him out to the stage, and you know, off he goes. But in this case, they did use a moderator, probably to sort of try and bring it back to the reason that people are there, which is about you know working in this world of of new and emerging media. And uh, creating content for all these uh, amazing platforms and channels, but uh, anyway, Mark in Cleveland, uh, and he started talking about um, you know the, the the small role that he played in <laughs> the Force Awakens. They sent me to uh, physical training twice a week for fifty weeks. I did it for fifty weeks because in the fiftieth week, I read the script for Episode Seven. I said, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> I lost 48 pounds to turn around and remove my hood? (laughs) Spoiler alert. Uh, But again, uh, I didn't really see... And I said, the only thing that worries me... I said this to JJ and to Kathy Kennedy. I said, look, if you're advertising the three original actors, and not to mention Kenny Baker, God rest his soul, and Anthony Daniels and Peter Mayhew, but if you're advertising the three human characters, Han and Leia and Luke, there's an implied reunion of some sort. And I pretty much don't see anybody. You know, I'm sort of this hermit, like the guy that, you know, get off my island, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, well, you, so did the, I, you did the read. I mean, you were you did the readings. I mean, when you went through the, the well, I know they said, well, we're, here's your tickets to go to London for the table read. I said, are you kidding me? I'm going to travel six thousand miles for a table listen? No way. <laughs> I'm not even going. I was still pouting about it because I, it made me really mad. I said, look, you should advertise that Luke's not even in episode seven. And then at the end, it'll be a big surprise. I uh, said, no, we don't want to do that. And I said, okay, well, it's truth in advertising, and I don't want to make people think that it's going to be some... Uh, and reunions, by definition, are usually anticlimactic anyway. So they're much smarter than I thought. What I didn't realize is how they would use the mystery of Luke's, you know, uh, being not on the poster, and, and it, it, they used... 
what they had to really create, and I wasn't in the trailer, or I guess I, the hooded, there might be one shot. But my point is uh, how clever they were at Disney and Lucasfilm to use that kind of fan speculation to really fuel the ad campaign. Just, you know, as a side issue, because they were really, mostly it was about establishing the new characters, and uh, I think I thought they did a fantastic job. Now, see how he did that? He brought it right back into uh, yeah. marketing and, uh, and, and content and all of that. But, you know, that's the first time that I have heard anybody articulate uh, Jim, something that you and I brought up, and I, I, I can't remember when it was. I th- it may have been one of our, our commentaries. But I was lamenting the fact that, for me, what was so um, uh, traumatic about the, the death of Han was that it was also the death of the chance of the opportunity to see the three of them reunited. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that I've heard anybody associated with the film talk about that and leave it to Mark. You know, what, you know, Han Solo may be the voice of the average person uh, in the within the Star Wars universe. But, you know, outside mm-hmm. the universe, Mark is always the voice of the fan. Yeah. Uh, uh, well said. That was very well said. And and so he's he's articulating something that I thought. And um, and I love how he brings it back to the way that they did, you know, use the marketing as a, as a tease in the mystery of Luke. But, uh, you know, that is a part of if there was anything that I was disappointed about in The Force Awakens. And I, I give it a 98 out of 100. Mm-hmm. Um, that is it. That is it. Because the fan in me desperately wanted to see together again. Same as always. Wouldn't miss it. I mean, I wanted to see that moment. Well, it's a bold move, isn't it? You know, I mean, not only do you want to see the three of them together, but you want to see the three of them together in the Falcon with Chewie. You know, I mean, you want, yes, and with the droids there, the whole gang. And it would have been so easy for Lawrence Kasdan and J.J. Abrams and all of them to do that. It would have just been so easy. So you understand the risks that were taken with this film, you know, especially for the people who are so critical about the fact that, oh, well, this is just a a repeat of a new hope, basically, you know, beat for beat. It's uh, it's the same thing. But I mean, really, what fuels us as Star Wars fans from day one? It was the crew. It was the team. It was Han, Luke and Leia. It was their friendship. And Palpatine plays on that. The Emperor plays on that in Return of the Jedi. Your faith in your friends, you know. Mm. That's he's talking about Han and Leia and Chewie and R2. Uh, you know, it's it's it, it was such a, a resonating thing in the original trilogy. The, the band, the the crew, the team. Mm-hmm. And uh and and to see them then just basically push that aside and basically under the carpet for the force awakens is bold and daring. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, I do lament the fact that we don't get that team up again. I'm looking forward to maybe seeing some Luke Chewie and R2 action aboard the Falcon in episode eight. That's something I looking forward to seeing because, uh, you know, they're all together with Ray Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see how that all plays out. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're when you think about the visual 
of of that of that cockpit, you know, of uh, Ray in in the Han seat and Chewie there, and you know, old Luke, you know, bearded old Luke in the tattered robes, you know, next to the dutiful droid. Um, you know, there's beautiful symmetry. You know, we've seen this before. This scene, um, but uh, at any rate, it, it was um, really great to have obviously Mark here in Cleveland. He was, um, I did hear this and I don't think we have the, the, the clip, but uh, he was interested in why the rock and roll hall of fame was in Cleveland. Oh yeah. He, that does come up at one <laughs> point because he made it clear that he was just in and out of Cleveland. He wasn't going to be able to hang out very much. Yeah. And he said he would like to return because the rock and roll hall of fame is there. And, and Jason, you and me, we've met Mark a few times and we've talked to him and we know that he loves like, British rock from the 60s. He's a huge Beatles fan, loves the Stones. He even is a Beatles collector. He has, you know, in his man cave uh, in California, Mark has a pretty sizable collection of Beatles memorabilia. So he loves music and he would have really enjoyed a trip to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So he asked the moderator, why is it here? <laughs> yeah. And the moderator, you know, said, well, the term rock and roll was coined in Cleveland, and uh, which, which is... Uh, is that the truth or is that a debatable? Oh, no, that's absolutely true. It was uh, uh, the famous uh, disc jockey, um, uh, Freed. Um, yeah, a- Alan, Alan Freed. Alan Freed, yeah. Right, 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 yes. Whose ashes so, are in the, his urn and his ashes are in the rock hall. That rocks. Alan Freed, yeah. So, uh, but Mark would have loved to go see that. So you know that he was just, uh, his time in Cleveland was very limited. Yeah. Um, if he didn't even have time to just, you know, go around the block to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, yeah. well, hopefully he'll come back. And I, by the way, Mark, if you're listening, uh, I will give you a personal guided tour of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'll hook nope. you up. That'll seal the deal. <laughs> I sure it will. I'll uh, run the other way. Uh, hey, by the way, this is this is big. Uh, this Saturday night on Disney XD, Star Wars Rebels Season 3 debuts. And uh, there have been uh, some more clips that have been released since the big mega trailer uh, yes. that came out. And uh, we were right, Jim. You know, we were doing that uh, shot-by-shot uh, uh, review of the trailer. And you remember there was the shot of uh, a blue hand there in front of Hera? We're like, oh, I think that, that, that Thrawn actually uh, gets a hold of Hera or kidnaps Hera. She and does, yes. That is absolutely the case. So it's, it's yeah. part of this whole arc. But um, something caught your ear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in, in one this. of the preview clips, in the, in the exact preview clip you're talking about, which uh, features Grand Admiral Thrawn meeting Hera um, and, t- and taking her into custody, apparently, um, there are the, the scene starts off with Chopper, who is undercover. He has a different paint job and he is confronting two stormtroopers. I want you to listen closely to the voice of the second stormtrooper. And see if you can identify who this person is. I bet you can. Is that thing talking to us? Looks like it's malfunctioning. Ah! <laughs> pretty obvious, huh? Uh, yeah, I think the first one was pretty obvious, too. Okay, let me hear that one again. Because we know the second voice is, of course, everyone guessed it at the same time. That's... No, Dave I was Filoni talking about himself. Chopper, the voice of oh, Chopper. Is like, but oh, I thought you meant the other Stormtrooper. No, that I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know, but yeah, Dave no, Filoni. I, is that thing talking to us? Looks like it's malfunctioning. 
It sounds like it's uh, Steve Bloom as the first stormtrooper, and that's yeah. definitely Dave Filoni. Now, we've seen Dave get credit for doing vocal work on Star Wars Rebels in the past, but this is the most identifiable he's ever been. Yeah. Remember when he did the voice of uh, Clone Wars, of Embo the Bounty Hunter? Oh, that's you right. Know, yes, he did. So pitched down, so heavily processed, and not English. But this... <laughs> Is clear as a bell that that's Dave Filoni. So we, we're going to be hearing some uh, awesome voice work from Dave. It's suddenly beginning to occur to me that many of our friends, Jason, are stormtroopers. <laughs> the more I think about yeah, you're it. You're right. You're right. As we know, have become troopers. And uh, we got somebody we want to check in with here uh, in just a minute who also qualifies. And he'll be joining us to talk about... Uh, the uh, switching composers for Rogue One, David Collins, is coming to Rebel Force Radio here in just a few minutes. Yes, he is. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about one of our sponsors this week, a Geek Fuel. Now, if you're listening to this show, you're like us. You know we we know you love pop culture, and we know you love Star Wars. Uh, you're here every week listening to Rebel Force Radio, and uh, you collect memorabilia from your favorite franchises. I was talking about cleaning up my old vintage Star Wars figures. I'm looking at my brand new Luke Skywalker, the Force Awakens Funko Pop figure because it's the only figure you can get of Luke Skywalker from the Force Awakens. How true. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've got that. I've got my Batman animated series stuff. I've got my Planet of the Apes, my Star Trek, my Adam West Batman, all that stuff. I'm way into all kinds of things. And so is Geek Fuel. They know that you want to collect memorabilia from your favorite franchises. It's a monthly box subscription service, and they have a special Star Wars bonus. This is for Rebel Force Re Radio listeners. So every month, Geek Fuel sends out subscribers uh, an incredible variety of memorabilia from TV and movies and comics. And uh, re you know, like recent boxes have featured characters like Deadpool, properties like Doctor Who, Uncharted, so many more. Plus, new T-shirts every month, uh, downloadable video games like Fallen, and randomly inserted Blu-rays of uh, the latest films uh, from the hottest franchises. So this is really when being a loyal Rebel Force Radio listener pays off. Because when you listen to this show, you get a Star Wars bonus pack with your first box from Geek Fuel. It's a $30 value Star Wars bonus pack. It'll arrive with your first box, but you got to go to geekfuel.com slash rebel that's geekfuel.com slash rebel sign up that's right free free star wars bonus pack with your first box so check it out and we thank them for their support of us here at rebel force radio once again geekfuel.com slash rebel ladies and gentlemen please welcome your host david collin We figured that's the only way to get you anywhere, David, is just to play that first. <laughs> I think that's, uh, hey, guys. Do you carry that with you everywhere? Like you walk into it before you walk into a room, you fire that off on your iPhone. And, I do. It's on my gentlemen. iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host. I just do it myself if I don't have the recording available. <clears throat> I can see the wife's the eyes rolling now. Uh, oh, he oh, always I, does I say it. it to, I say it to her. I, good morning. Please welcome your husband, <laughs> Boy, David Collins. What, I'll tell you what. 
If you ever consider a career in movie phone, I can hear you doing that. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Rebel Force Radio. Please choose the show you would like. Yeah, for uh, for oxygen. For the app. <laughs> no. Yeah. For for yeah. For last week's show, press one. For this week's show, for next week's show, wait one week. You know what? There's days, there are times that I wish that podcasting, you know, listening to podcasts was that easy. Because believe it or not, well, I'm sure you run into it too. It's still a a challenge sometimes explaining to people what you... I I, I was in a situation at work recently. I won't name any names, but uh, someone said to me, now, do I need to have serious in order to listen to your show and they're too intimidated to try to discover how easy it actually is to listen you know you'll you'll hey you should listen you like star wars listen to rebel force radio oh no no i don't do that internet i don't do the podcast i don't well you have an iphone right there look oh no 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 look look right there you just press that little button and then you type in rebel force radio there we are Right, and then you just hit oh, no. play. play, and then they still won't listen, you know. No. No. But whatever. So it's 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 hard. You're right. It is hard, but it is growing. I read a report this week that said something like twenty percent of all Americans have listened to a podcast in the last month. So twenty percent doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think of all Americans, that is a lot. That means it's yeah. starting starting well, to Jim, catch when up. You, when we were first starting, it was in the neighborhood of eight to ten percent. If even, yeah. if even back then, my God, it was probably more like two to 5%. <laughs> I had heard one. Now that's true. Right. Because you're talking about 20% now in the last month. Right. So um, anyway, well, that's not what we brought David on to talk about. We brought David to talk about the big story that broke last week as we were actually sitting down to record Rebel Force Radio. All right, but big, before you big, say another word, what? before you say another what? word. Because because of the fact that we receive so much email about the fact that we butcher these names, let's just get it officially from David Collins before we even go any further. David. Yes. The name of the composer originally assigned to put together the soundtrack for Rogue One. What was that man's name? Okay. Well, I could get butchered for this, but my understanding is that his name is Alexander Duplass. Okay, that's what we were saying, I think. I said Desplat. Okay. I, I, I pronounced the S. Okay, all right. Because so I'm a swing? rube. Desplat. I mean, <laughs> so Desplat. 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 I think I might have been doing that a little myself. Desplat. What, what, Desplat. Desplat. It's like a Jerry Lewis bit. Desplat. Desplat. Somebody wrote an email saying, I forgive you, Jimmy, because I'm from Illinois, too, and there's no way either of us can ever pronounce these names correctly. So... <laughs> I appreciate. I'm that. actually, actually, I'm sorry. I think it's Alexandre. I think that, that, that is it. That is it. No, I, I can't, uh, can't, I can't pull that off. You don't pronounce it right <laughs> unless you cough something up in the process. Then you've said it correctly. Yeah. But his uh, name yeah, is yeah. not Alexandre, is it? it no, it's Alexander. Alexander. Okay. Alexander. Yeah. And then, okay, and then he was replaced by another composer, the guy who's worked with J.J. Abrams on things like Lost and Star mm. Trek. What's that guy's name? Michael Giacchino. Giacchino. Pronouncenames.com. Yeah. Now you got to listen here. Michael Giacchino. There it is. I don't think that's right. Yeah, it is. That's, that's, that's him right. saying it. Michael Giacchino. Michael oh, that, Giacchino. that's him saying it? Yeah. Giacchino. No. Sure it is. Really? Michael Giacchino. 
I found it on the internet. It's got to be true. Michael Giacchino? Yeah, there it is. He's, he's saying it as a question, so how can we be sure? <laughs> I don't think so. Let, let's see. There's, there's more to this, I think. Michael Giacchino? Oh, yeah, it just plays a couple of times. I Michael thought a Giacchino. CH in Italian was Giacchino. Giacchino. Well, but that would be, yeah. that is true. That that is true, but that would be the Italian pronunciation. The American pronunciation would be, uh, well, actually, the two. Mikey C- G, hey Mikey G, you got some Star Wars for us to watch? <laughs> well, but we've got a lot of know-it-alls apparently in the audience, and they know oh, what it is. But but G, uh, Michael G, what what did he say? I I forgot it already. Michael Giacchino. Let's it? call him uh, Michael. I, I Michael think it's Michael Giacchino. 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 Giacchino sounds really weird. To me. Well, it doesn't matter because Alexander did go to splat. Uh, he's not doing the movie Aww. anymore. Yeah, I know. It's very sad. Uh, but we've got uh, Michael G uh, in. Um, right. So what do you make of this, uh, David? You, you understand uh, the process and where we are in relation to the release of this film. Is this a is this a sure. late, is this a late uh, a late play? For the production? You know, I think it depends on when the replacement actually happened. Um, and I don't know when it happened versus when it was announced. So I'm not right. really sure. I mean, we just found out about it, but it could have happened a while ago. I mean, reshoots obviously happened over the summer. Is that right? Over the summer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or was it before that? A little before that, maybe. It was summer. Um, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of things could have changed. Um, and we also don't really know why. It could be... Tonal, it could be scheduling. I, I think I read today that uh, he has signed on to do another Luc Besson. There's another name, mm. right? Uh, he signed on to do another uh, another movie, and there were some scheduling conflicts p- potentially. But, I mean, what's interesting about both of those composers is they both have experience writing John Williams' uh, music. I mean, l- literally taking a franchise that John Williams started and continuing it, uh, Alexander Duplass with Harry Potter and Michael Giacchino with... Uh, Jurassic World, um, you know, because he was weaving in in and out of themes of uh, Jurassic Park into mm. Jurassic World. And um, so they both seemed, I was actually really interested in what uh, Alexander Duplass was going to write. I actually think that Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, which is what he wrote, the last Harry Potter movies, I mean, those are very different than what John Williams did, only because the movies that, that uh, John Williams did, the first three Harry Potter movies, which are incredible, incredible scores, um, those movies tonally are so different than the Deathly Hallows movies, part one and part two, which are incredibly dark. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if there was sort of this gritty Rogue One, it made sense that Alexander Duplass would do it because he kind of did the same thing for Harry Potter. However, I think Giacchino is, is a really great composer. I mean, a lot of people online have brought up Medal of Honor, which is a video game that he did, which is kind of one of the, you know, when he was first starting before Lost, and around the time he started doing Alias with J.J. Abrams, he was a video game composer. That's how he started out. And uh, he did Medal of Honor for EA. And uh, the first video game score, his big break, was the Lost World video game back in the uh, late 90s. And so, you know, he has done a lot, a lot, a lot of Disney, a lot of John Williams. And um, he's no stranger to Star-, Star Wars either. He did the Star Tours attraction at Disneyland. If you go and see that, he was the person that basically orchestrated all that John Williams and uh, did all the music and for recording an orchestra for that ride. So it's familiar territory for him. You know, he just did Zootopia. He did, like I said, Jurassic World. 
Uh, Tomorrowland, I think he did. Yes. Um, and of course, a bunch of Pixar movies like Up and The Incredibles. I mean, the guy is is no slouch. So I don't know. I think it'd be interesting for Rogue One because I, when someone asked me years ago, you know, if John Williams stops doing the Star Wars movies, who's going to take it over? And my first thought was, well, probably Michael Giacchino. Hmm. Giacchino or Giacchino Chino. <laughs> um, Let me ask you something, David. That was my what first was my thought. First thought. Well, good. I mean, because, you know, I think a lot of people did share that sentiment. I think a lot of people start leaning in that direction once J.J. Abrams was appointed director of The Force Awakens. And J.J. probably would have used Giacchino if John Williams wasn't available. You know, so I I think that's how it worked out. Now, obviously, Williams working now on episode nine. And or I mean episode eight and hopefully episode nine, but he's you know planning to work on episode eight, and I'm sure he has some other projects in the hopper as well. So um, he wouldn't have the time then to say, "Oh, John, Johnny, baby, we need you. It's an emergency. You got to work on Rogue One for us." No, so they go to the next best choice, I guess, in their minds. I think J.J. Abrams may have had some influence on the choice to bring in Giacchino. But my question is this, okay? For starters, David, do you know if it's commonplace for a composer to, when, when working on a soundtrack, to create spec scores or scratch tracks and supply them to the editors to use when they're, they're working on their initial cuts of the film? It's uh, a great question. So it, it largely depends um, not really as temp music, for example, but a lot of times composers do submit demos or sketches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for a fact that Giacchino submits, Giacchino Chino um, submits sketches to his directors. Um, there was a great article, I think it was the LA Times, or maybe it was one of those uh, Sunday, you know, Sunday edition magazines that circulate in a lot of different newspapers that interviewed Michael Giacchino Chino last year. Um, and it was around the time that he had um, uh, a couple of movies coming out, Inside Out, the Pixar movie, and he had Tomorrowland at the same time, and he had Jurassic World. Like, he had three huge movies all out at the same time last summer. I mean, the guy was super busy, right? Um, and so there's an article about it, and he said himself, well, yeah, this is my process. This is what I do. I, I, I write about a 20-minute um, piece of music that you know you just put together on the computer. Um, or maybe he starts at the piano and moves to the computer and he says to the director, Hey, this is what I think your movie sounds like. You know, this is my vision for your movie. And this is something that he said in an interview last summer, about a year ago. So I think in that particular case, yeah, um, they would probably have a good idea of what a star Wars rogue one by Michael Giacchino sounds like. Um, but I don't know if he'd necessarily be providing him with temp scores. Um, there are exceptions. I think a really famous exception is, uh, Tron legacy where the the Daft Punk score was written ahead of time and the director was l- listening to that score a lot while he was doing the movie. Like, mm. it was something that they went back and forth on, you know. It was almost more like a concept album by Daft Punk as well as a film score. You know, they had certain pieces of music and certain themes and certain grooves that that um, really influenced the director. And I think probably in that case, probably did influence the cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you read the liner notes of that soundtrack, that was kind of an interesting one where the music was like, so early on in production, but I think for the most part, a uh, conductor is or conductor, a composer is brought in on the end and usually has to chase a temp score. 
Um, I don't know if you guys saw all that stuff about temp scores and Marvel and all that stuff that came out this past week. If you saw yes. all those videos about temp yes. love. Yes. Um, those were really interesting and that's a whole other conversation. Um, but that's something we'll um, probably get into in oxygen a little bit, Yeah, yeah. but that is yeah, a great yeah. video. If anyone has a chance to see it, it's, it's about a, the breakdown of, of film soundtracks. Why is the star Wars theme? Why is the James Bond theme? Why is it so hummable? Why is it so memorable? And, and can you say the same about the Marvel film soundtracks? And, and the answer is, is no, <laughs> especially the, the people on the street that they talk to in this video. So, um, it sort of breaks down the, uh, the ins and outs of all that. Maybe, like I said, Dave, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that on, uh, on, um, oxygen. But the reason I asked about temp scores or scratch tracks or spec scores, whatever you want to call them, I was just wondering if, if there, it's possible that Alexander's plot had supplied the production crew with some music and they fit it together with some of the film and when screened for the Disney execs, it just didn't work tonally. And so they may have tapped then Giacchino to say, well, what can you do? And maybe he supplied them with another temp track and they said, well, let's just go with Giacchino then. Do you think that there's any sort of basis in reality with that assumption? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's easy to speculate. There could be a number of different things that happened. It could be scheduling. It could be creative differences. I mean, uh, Alexander Duplass and, and um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm suddenly blanking on his name. The director of Rogue One. Gareth Edwards. Gareth, yeah. So Gareth Edwards and, and, um, and Alexander Duplass did Godzilla together. You know, they're a creative team. You know, with the reshoots, it could be scheduling because uh, DePaul's starting a different movie. It could be a lot of different things. I mean, I will say about Giacchino, you know, I don't think that Giacchino is a John Williams clone. Um, I think that he's a little more contemporary in terms of, um, uh, of you know, some of the styles that he's explored, you know, with Lost and Alias and some of those other things. And um, But I think he has the ability to do it. He's proven he has the ability to do it and sort of adapt those themes. But, you know... I think of I think of Giacchino and I think of I think of hearing the theme to up on Main Street in Disneyland. You know, I mean, the guy has done a lot of different styles. Alexander Duplass, like, yes, you could say, well, he wrote this dark Harry Potter score. And yes, he wrote this dark Godzilla score. But, you know, composers, great composers take their lead from a director, you know. And if uh, Duplass was writing something dark, it's probably because the director wanted him to write something dark. So, again, you can just speculate it doesn't mean that Alexander Duplass is not capable of writing, you know, um, more of a swashbuckling traditional Star Wars score. Um, it just might be a creative change. It might be a scheduling change. Um, I really don't know. The one thing I will say is that if if Michael Giacchino was starting today, um, this is September. The movie's supposed to come out in December. It would be a pretty tight schedule, but doable. You know, um, you know, there, there's been worse. I think probably the, the craziest one that I ever heard of was when uh, Howard Shore was replaced by James Newton Howard on uh, King Kong, the Peter Jackson movie. I think that happened within the last month or two. Wow. And uh, just ended up being, you know, a, a, a zip to the finish line. And because that movie is so long. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that I know that happened very late in talking to some friends about it, but. But um, in terms of, of this one, I, we don't really know. I mean, maybe we'll know later, but uh, it's, it's really an interesting production all around because, you know, there's some stuff that I think is totally natural and it, when it comes to these movies, you know, like uh, doing pickups and reshoots. Um, but changing out a composer, it's happened before. 
Um, and it could be a number of different reasons. I mean, even John Williams himself had to kind of let go of like the second Harry Potter movie because he just couldn't, didn't have time with all of his other commitments, um, including Attack of the Clones. You know, he, he didn't have time to do it. So someone else actually had to take his music and go into the studio and do a lot of that music. And on The Force Awakens, that happened, we know, with, um, uh, oh my gosh, for whatever reason tonight, you guys, I can't remember names. Oh, yes, uh, the, the secondary composer on the soundtrack. The conductor. Yeah, or conductor. I'm sorry, conductor. Yeah, I did. Uh, the L.A. Philharmonic. Why am I blanking on his name? Right. Anyway, right, yes, we've spoken about this uh, in great lengths. On Gustavo Dudamel. Yeah. Yeah, Dudamel. Gustavo okay. Dudamel. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there there could be all kinds of different things going on. So, we just don't know. But I think that you know either one of those guys, honestly, is good news. It's not like we went from you know someone that couldn't do it to someone that's gonna you know that is. It's not like the movie was suddenly saved. It was just a shift, you know, and it's also not like the movie, you know, went from, oh, this is going to be awesome to, oh, no, Giacchino, like Giacchino is going to be amazing. So it's just a change. And I, I, I don't think it's one of those things where like Duplass couldn't do it, you know, creatively. I think he totally could have done it. So it makes me wonder if there was just some scheduling or behind the scenes thing that we just aren't aware of. You know, well, I think, um, I think that's the official uh, the official line is uh, scheduling. There's a yeah. scheduling conflict, but I, I don't know. I, I think that's a smokescreen. I think that Maybe. Uh, I, I think they're so concerned with the tone of this film that they want to go with something that's more of a sure thing. And I believe in their eyes, Giacchino is a sure thing. He's worked on Star Wars before. As you've said, he uh, probably comes with a huge recommendation from J.J. Abrams, who uh, might also be on the committee considering the tone of this film because J.J. does keep his... Uh, fingerprints still in the star wars universe probably not nearly as directly as he did as the director of the force awakens but you can bet that kathleen kennedy does call him from time to time he takes her calls so uh <laughs> I, I think he may have had something to do with grease and the skids to get giacchino in there if if there is a discussion about the tone of this film yeah, maybe so. I mean, the one thing I would say that makes me wonder, think it's a toss up, is that the Star Trek score that Giacchino did is darker than anything that James Horner or Jerry Goldsmith or Alexander Courage or anybody else who did Star Trek ever did. You know, the theme is very, you know, kind of dark and almost like Russian nationalist, um, you know, which is something that that Sam pointed out to me once. You know, it almost sounds Russian. You know, it does sound like, like a Shostakovich or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. it is a very dark Star Trek theme. So it's not that it's not that Giacchino can't go dark, you know, but the, the, I'm sure that Duplass could go light. You know, I think that they're both two very, very capable composers. So, like, I, I who knows why? Um, but I, to your point, I did think it was just a matter of time before Giacchino, you know, um, found his way to a Star Wars movie. And I'm actually really curious to hear what he's going to do. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually had lunch with Michael Giacchino once, probably about six years ago. It wasn't just the two of us. It was a, a Lucasfilm talk and a few of us were invited to have lunch with him afterwards and because i was in the sound department at lucas arts they invited me and um it's interesting because he did a couple of lucas arts scores michael giacchino on some games that i worked on one called uh mercenaries and another one he did called uh secret weapons over normandy it was a world war ii fighting airplane game and he was still writing video game scores this is in the early 2000s while he was starting to do lost and a few other things in tv and before he did broke into movies with the Incredibles. Anyway, he had just written up and um, he came to talk about up. And the way that he spoke about the music was 
Really brilliant. Uh, have you both seen the movie Up, the oh, Pixar yeah. movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, he talked a lot about the opening sequence, which is basically mm-hmm. a very a very, very um, emotional montage. I won't give it away for people who haven't seen it. But <laughs> it does go dark, you know? I mean, but he played against the darkness with the music, and he wrote everything in a major key uh, when things got really dark in order to just pull on sort of happy memories and the sorrow, he went with something very light and delicate and major. I felt like he did the same thing in Inside Out, um, which I love to score for Inside Out. And he talked a lot about that. And then he told me this great story about Steven Spielberg and the Lost World, right? Um, and I'm going to butcher this story, but I have to tell you the story because I think it's one of the coolest, like, superhero, well, composer, origin stories <laughs> um, that I've ever heard, which is that, Michael Giacchino was working in marketing in the 90s. And he had just, he didn't really pursue his dream. He was just kind of slugging along in in marketing. And I think he was in New York City at the time. And he was working for a marketing firm. And somehow they got involved with, I'm going to butcher this story, but got involved with DreamWorks Interactive somehow. And they were preparing a demo for, uh, the the client that they were working for was was a development team that was working on the Lost World video game. And... He got to see it, and he had a boss. This is him telling us this story a few years ago. He had a boss at the time that was letting him leave work early a couple days a week because he was taking night classes in composition because he he still hadn't given up on his dream. He wanted to pursue it. And so he was taking these night classes, had a really cool boss, and he saw this demo, noticed that there was no music, asked, well, what are they doing about the music? And he said, I don't know, but you can ask. And one of the developers on the team said, well, we haven't figured it out yet. And Giacchino pitched himself to write the music for this Lost World video game demo. And the guy was like, well, don't get attached to it. We don't have a solution. But if you want to send something, great. you know." So he worked and worked and worked and worked on this <clears throat> Lost World demo. Lost World is interesting because John Williams wrote, wrote it, right? Mm-hmm. So he tried to write this Williams-esque video game piece on his computer, gives it to the game team, and he's really excited about it. And they're like, yeah, we'll put this in. That's great. Um, but don't get too excited, okay? Because this, this is not final. Um, and they had to present that demo to Steven Spielberg. And so the story goes that he's upstairs in his high rise in New York or whatever. And his boss gets a call and he goes to Michael Giacchino. Hey, you need to go downstairs to the lobby. Um, you're, being, you're being summoned. He's like, what's going on? He goes, just go downstairs. And he's going down the escalator. And at the bottom of the escalator is this game developer, the guy that said, well, don't get too attached because we're going to replace it. (laughs) And Steven Spielberg. (laughs) And Spielberg creates his career in this moment because he says, you know, probably picking up on the, oh, no, it's not final. It's not final from that game developer next to him. (laughs) He says to Giacchino, like, ah, good, the composer, you and I are going to talk about the music, right? Wow. And he goes, oh, yeah, 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 no, yeah, let's talk about it. He goes, good, 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 because I had a couple ideas I wanted to run past you. And from that moment, the game team couldn't not have Michael Giacchino write the score <laughs> because Spielberg threw his weight at this kid because he liked what he had done for that demo. Wow. And I, he probably heard the story about how it was this guy in marketing that just really went for it, you know? Yeah. Wow. And so that's how he got his first game composition gig. And then from there, got Medal of Honor. And I'm sure that because Spielberg was involved in video games and DreamWorks Interactive, I'm sure he probably introduced him to J.J. Abrams, which is how Alias happened. And then, you know, it all snowballs from there. But I thought that was such a cool 
story. And he was such a down-to-earth guy that I can't help but root for Giacchino. So if I seem a little biased, that's why. I think he's, I think he's great. Um, I think Deplaw is great, too. But, um, you know, certainly he's a huge fan and a very passionate guy. So hopefully we'll be in really good hands. Absolutely. Well, you're great, David. Everyone loves Star Wars Oxygen. And, and all the fans are wondering if, uh, if uh, you know, they, nobody cares about the composers. They just want to know if you're going to be returning to voice a stormtrooper in Rogue One. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you can write to Matt Wood, care of Skywalker Sound. <laughs> <clears throat> if I'm writing to Matt Dear Wood, Matthew. I'm gonna if I'm gonna write to Matt Wood, I'm gonna ask him to call me. Well, well do it. Here, here's David's Swank. Here's David's demo for the, for uh, Stormtrooper. Sir, the droid was spotted heading west with a girl. Ooh, that's a good girl. demo. That's me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think I'm gonna put that on the front there. of my demo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very convincing. And uh, just to wrap things up, what do you think the possibilities are for Daft? punk to eventually score a star wars film wow maybe if it's like coruscant a star wars story um <laughs> not very good but Jimmy. just about the I, uh, I, no. yeah well i think uh, they had the opportunity to do something really different way different from any other star wars film we saw and then when they got close to doing that they realized they're too different and it's not star Wars anymore. So they're trying to bring it back and provide the type of tone that this film rogue one needs. And I think a shift in composers told, uh, is pretty telling. I told Kathy, uh, you should really get that band, uh, drift pink. <laughs> pink. Uh, my son listens to drift pink and, uh, I think no daft daft prank. I think they're called daft prank. No, no, no! Draft, draft, draft letter. I don't know what they're called, but they're they've got a they've got a groovy beat, and uh, the kids and, love uh, it. I Actually, like if it. it was up to George, what was the uh, what was the attraction at Disney that he loved so much? Uh, Jim, we heard the story of him singing the singing the song from uh, to the Enchanted Tiki Room. Yeah, they, yeah of course, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's the composer it's he wants. The Tiki 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 Room. Well, Tiki Room was written by the Sherman Brothers, who wrote Mary Poppins and Jungle Book and all kinds. Oh God! Of stuff. Well, they're no slouches, that's yeah. for sure. No, no, yeah. Uh, but uh, well, David, thanks, man, for uh, coming on and uh, moonlighting a little bit on the. The oxygen gig, slumming it here. Oh on the come Red on! I know. I read the emails. Here. I read the no, emails. Listen. David W. Collins. I know what people oh, say. Please. No, no, please. I've been I've been asking Jimmy now for like two weeks. It's like, hey, can we, can we talk about Giacchino on the main show? Or no, since last week, since I couldn't make it, can we talk right. about Giacchino on the main show? I've been lobbying to get on to the main to the main event. Oh, um, the main event. You say that's all the shows. The main event. <laughs> But um, um, well, you know what? Maybe someday we'll see uh, David W. Collins's name in the uh, in the credits for a Star Wars talking. film. All right, how about that? Yes. Or I'll be fortunate enough to be replaced about four months before the <laughs> <laughs> by Michael by- Giacchino. Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. And with that, and with that, I'm out. Uh, Drift Funk. Get rid of that. Get rid of that Daniel Daniel Collin kid. <laughs> All right, man. Have a great time and uh, be safe on your travels. Thank you very much. Talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye. Michael Giacchino.
right, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Big thanks to our special guest, David W. Collins. You can listen to David, of course, right here on Star Wars Oxygen on the Rebel Force Radio Network. And you know one of the greatest things about Star Wars Oxygen is that it's really evergreen. You know, you can go back and you can listen to the back, you know, the catalog of of episodes and... It's still relevant. It's always going to be relevant. You know, it's just uh, it's so great. And I'll tell you what, Jim. The one th- kind of common thing I hear about oxygen is that people love to binge listen yeah. to oxygen. Absolutely, because we break it all down film by film, and so a lot of people like to listen to four or five episode chunks at one time because then they get the full analysis of each and every film at once. And then some people like to listen to all 30-something episodes at once, and those people need to be hospitalized. But that's okay. You know, you can't overdose on Star Wars. I don't think you can. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Jason, for um, talking about just how how the shelf life is is evergreen, as you say, in marketer speak. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, it, it is very true. And uh, we see people uh, noticing that. Uh, time and time again, as it's always one of our top performers each and every month here on the Global Force Radio Network. So be sure to stay tuned. David and I will be getting together very soon to continue our conversation about Revenge of the Sith. We know we've left a lot of you guys hanging for about a year now, waiting for us to get back to that film. But hey, you know, The Force Awakens, enough said. So we'll be definitely coming back to Ep 3 very soon as we ramp up our anticipation for Rogue One. Now, I know a lot of uh, people, Jim, have, have wondering, and I've been wondering the same thing. Does, you know, Rogue One is going to be a brand new composer. Um, does it still qualify as being a uh, subject on Star Wars Oxygen, the music of John Williams? Absolutely it does, because it's truly inspired by the work of Dr- John Williams as will, I believe, any composer who comes close to Star Wars in the future. Everyone is going to be under the spell of John Williams, and uh, Michael Giacchino will definitely be bringing a heavy Williams influence to Rogue One. At least that's what I'm predicting. So, uh, yes, we will be talking about uh, uh, composers working on the standalone films. Uh, Quite possibly we'll be going into the work of Kevin Kiner, on Star Wars Rebels and Clone Wars, and uh, maybe even talking a little bit about some other John Williams music for other films, like Indiana Jones, maybe. But my passion is Star Wars, so I want to keep it firmly rooted in the wars when I'm talking about John Williams, and there still is a lot to talk about. Well, all the episodes of uh, Star Wars Oxygen are available at rebelforceradio.com, the website. Um... Huge thanks to our sponsors, Geek Fuel, Little Debbie Snack Cakes, and Tops, and their amazing Star Wars card trader app. I'll tell you, every day is like a little mini Star Wars celebration when you have that app loaded on your phone because they're just pinging you all the time with uh, fun little promotions, and uh, it's uh, it's a great way to sort of keep your fandom going all day long. Uh, the email address, show at rebelforceradio.com, the voicemail line, 708-320-1737. Or uh, 708-3201-RFR. That's a great way to keep in touch with us. And uh, you never know. You might just hear yourself on the show. Uh, we're on Twitter, at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank, and at David W. Collins. 
Facebook, you can keep up with us. Keep up with us there on the official Facebook group. That's where you can go and you can discuss the uh, latest episode of Rebel Force Radio or just the latest Star Wars news with like-minded fans. It's a really refreshing little bit, a uh, little corner of social media where you don't have kind of some of the the more trolly behavior that you see in other places. Uh, also, the official Rebel Force Radio Facebook page is available for you too. There, um, iTunes still, in my judgment, one of the best places to subscribe and review Rebel Force Radio. We love to have those subscriptions and we love to have your reviews. Just one rule, please, on the reviews: make them good. And you can find Rebel Force Radio streaming at WGNplus.com. We're available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and just about anywhere else you can find podcasts. We're streaming each and every Saturday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you like that appointment listening, at srsounds.com. Part of a great lineup there on Saturday nights at srsounds.com. We're also an official friend of Wikipedia. The ultimate online Star Wars encyclopedia can be found right there, wikipedia.com. You can also find us weekly on jedinews.co.uk, yodasnews.com, and the official Star Wars website, starwars.com. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time. It'll be Rogue Friday. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Looks like it's malfunctioning.